Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. He said, the Lord's going to give you three messages. And when you are done with those three messages, you're going to start uh, traveling and preaching at some other places. And then he left. And I shared it with a couple of people. And I'm sitting there. I was thinking about it. And then I shared it with my wife. And I think I shared it with Brock probably because he works here too. And um, they said, so what do you think? Is that from the Lord? And I said, I don't know. He was just so weird about it. Maybe. And then it was the next day, Pastor April came into my office and she said, hey, I just got a word from the Lord for you yesterday. And he said that you're supposed to prepare three messages because you're going to go and travel a little bit and administer the word at other places. And I was like, guess it was from God. Because he shared it with me really weirdly, and he shared it with me really normal. Believe it or not, April was the normal one in this particular scenario. That's really unusual. Usually she's the one on the first end that you think, oh, she's really being touched. Like I said, it's awesome to be touched by the Lord. And sometimes I've had reactions to God. It's great. I just don't like it when you try to manipulate God with your emotions as opposed to receiving a reaction to the Holy Spirit. You're trying to get the Holy Spirit to move. Am I clear on that? We all right? So I very quickly decided, just in as fast as I possibly could, I decided to procrastinate. And uh, every week I'm like, this is the week I'm going to prepare those three messages. Another week would go by. Okay, this is the week. Uh, so I... In, a, in the very quick past four to six months, I've got two and almost the third one done. This is the second one. As I was praying over what messages to prepare, I've preached probably more than a thousand messages in my lifetime. So how do you narrow that down to three? Or what do you actually, and you just do what we do every week, right? Just what you guys do when you're trying to hear the Lord. You just get into his presence and wait for him to speak. And, but sometimes he'll use other people, as he did in this particular case. Sometimes you can brainstorm. And sometimes you come up with like 15 different uh, topics that you think maybe the Lord is saying. And he'll just cross them off one at a time until you get down. This is the one. I didn't have the scriptures. I didn't know exactly how I was going to go with it. But I knew if there's one message in my, in my heart to share to the world, it's this one. Now, there's a, a zillion different ways to present it, and there's a ton of different scriptures I could embark on. And, every, and I probably preached in some form or fashion this particular topic 20-some times. And every time I preach on it, I seem to tick people off. So I'm like, that's got to be the one. Let's see how many people across the nation I can tick off. And it is, I'm going to give you like the scriptures here in a few moments. Like I said, I had to narrow it down. But here's, here it is. God desires for you to be full of joy no matter what's going on in your life. And every time I preach about how we can have the joy of the Lord... People will come up and say, well, you don't really, you don't get it. 
you don't know my situation. You haven't been through what I've been through. If you were to live out what I've lived out this past week, then you wouldn't be preaching on joy. By the way, in John chapter 15, Jesus himself says, you can do nothing without me. That's what Jesus said. Well, that means we can't do anything without him. That means we can do everything with him. So if you struggle with joy, you can have joy in Christ. You might need to lean more on him than the average person. Other people come to me and say, well, yeah, but uh, you're forgetting the fact that some people have a chemical imbalance. Look at this face. Does it look like I don't have a chemical imbalance? Like, come on. The answer for whether you have crises going on in your life or if you have a chemical imbalance going on in your, in your brain, the answer is the same. Without him, you can do nothing. But in Christ, all things are possible. And John 15, actually, in, 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 in light of all that, it actually says, you must have my joy. Jesus' joy is different than your own. And if you think of it like a suitcase, he's literally handing you a suitcase of joy. All we've got to do is take it, receive it, hold on to it, and use it. That's joy. And, and joy, why are you guys looking like you're the opposite of joy? You should have like smiles. And, yes, God wants me to have joy. Amen? By the way, why? Why does God want us to have joy? Because number one answer He loves you. God wants his children to have joy. Remember one time we went as a family to Disney World. It's one of the angriest I've ever been at my eldest son, Randy. Because literally, like, Chris and my, our dream vacation is not Disney World. Like, we're going to save, we're going to, we're going to go to Disney. Now, some of you guys, I know, was, uh, Jen's not here. Okay, good. Woo. She's probably at Disney World. She goes like 25 times a year. To me, I'm like, no, I don't want to go where there's more people, more chaos, more issues. People are bad. Okay, no, that's not my message. But we're literally like we're sacrificing. We, Chris hadn't slept in two or three days. She has a hard time sleeping anywhere else. We actually joke about this trip because it was like day three, middle of the night. She's waking me up for the 17th time in three nights. And she's saying, I still can't sleep. And I said, Chris, just go to sleep. And her response is, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. (laughs) Now I'm on the end of it where I have a hard time sleeping. She says, not so easy now, is it? And we're sacrificing, we're not sleeping, we're hanging out with multitudes of people. And we're starting in the morning and getting home at late, we're exhausted. And Randy is not happy, he's a kid. I'm like, dude, we're in the happiest place in the world. How could you not be happy? And I feel that that's the way God is with us. I've given you everything. How can you not be full of joy? And by the way, in the 
blessings and cursings chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 28, in which God like presents his message to the nation. And he says, I set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. And then he says, choose life. You could choose to have the blessings or you could choose to have the curses. And then he goes on and he lists all of the blessings that are available to us if you just do what I tell you to do. And then he lists all of the cursings. If you disobey, you'll receive these curses. And one of the curses that's mentioned is because you did not serve me with joy and gladness of heart, you will receive this curse. Now we're not under the curse anymore. We don't have to perform. We actually have all, we have access to all of those blessings because our lives are now in Christ who actually fulfilled all of the obedience for us. All we've got to do is say, yes, Lord, I desire you. So we're not under that, but it still reveals the heart of God. The heart of God is saying, listen, I, I cursed my people if they didn't serve me with joy and gladness. So that's like an open book to the, to the, you know, the, the, the heart of the Father that says just be full of joy. And then the third reason for me is it is the best evangelistic tool you will ever have. I have heard so many people say the reason why I'm serving God is because such and such or such and such or such and such happened to this Christian and they didn't react the way I thought that they would react. They literally were like, oh, God will figure out a way. And it's, I want what that person has. And if you're walking around with Jesus' joy on the inside of you, it's literally called unspeakable joy in the Bible. It's so full that you don't even have words to convey what's going on on the inside. If you carry that with you wherever you go, that is a better evangelistic tool than just someone going up and presenting the gospel, in my opinion. We do need the word. You ever hear the saying, um, preach the gospel wherever you go, and if necessary, use words? That's the preach part to me, is being full of joy. But by the way, it is necessary to use words, because if you don't use words, they don't know where you got that joy to begin with. So it's necessary. But your testimony on the inside needs to be full of joy. One, it's like God's will. Two, it's, it's what he desires for you and and you'll have joy who doesn't want joy and and uh, it's also evangelistic in everything that we do what's the verse in okay let's do a little quiz we got a little extra time raise your hand okay how do i do this without embarrassing people i don't care i like embarrassing people all right if you think of um, the, the, the one verse in the Bible, ah, there's too many verses. I'll start it and you'll finish it. How's that? Um, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where is that at? Who said that? Who said that verse? Does anybody? Yeah, I, you did. I believe you. Raise your hand if you know who said it. 
Okay, not very many people. I saw one. <laughs> Did you know? Somebody else? Okay, so you didn't want to raise your hand? See, I can't, I'm a twin. If I know something that my twin doesn't know, I brag about it. That's not scriptural, by the way. But when you grow up in a competitiveness against your brother, you if you know something he doesn't know, which was every day for me, by the way. Anyway, okay, Nehemiah said it. Nehemiah, and I'm going to quote the whole verse for the sake of Eric, because I think, Eric, this should be your life verse. Nehemiah says this. He says, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. (laughs) I could just stop right there. He's like, okay, I got it. (laughs) If you ever in your life feel like you are not eating very healthily. Just spend a day with Eric. You'll walk away like, I'm doing all right. (laughs) All right. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a great verse. And Nehemiah quoted it because everything was going super well for Nehemiah. Not true. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 5. That's actually verse in chapter 8, verse 10, but let's put this in context. Go back to chapter 5. If you recall the history of the, of, uh, the Bible at this particular time, God's people had been in um, exile. Uh, there was a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Say that three times fast. Any pregnant women out there? Good name for a baby? Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel uh, went back to build the temple. He was um, given two compatriots that were like preaching inspirational words for people, Zechariah and Haggai. If you're familiar with those books of the Bible. They built the temple. Sixty years later, Ezra came along the scene, and by the way, Ezra at least wrote some of Nehemiah. Ezra brought a revival to the temple. He brought a revival in the house by preaching proper temple worship. By preaching about worship, revival breaks out. Isn't that cool? How many of you love worship? Worship was awesome. You know, worship's been really good in this house for a long time. And we just, you know, I just like to commemorate our worship people, all of the worship people, um, because it's, it's not musicianship. It's not knowing how to sing. It's not being able to beat the drum faster than your neighbor. It's literally connecting with the Lord and allowing the anointing to come over you to, to present a, a sermon in music terms with to the people that we might join in and just worship God together and bring us into his presence. The only thing that I think is more important than worshiping Jesus is, is the word. Because worship literally by design tills the ground, tills the ground of your heart so that the seed can be planted so that it can produce a harvest in your life. You see, doctors will... Um, 
inject medicine for the body through the mouth or through an injection. But the Lord, he injects his medicine to his people through the soul. And if we could take in his medicine through the soul, you will have joy. You will have peace. And you will have abundant life. But for some reason, it's easy for people to take a pill. But it's not so easy for them to take the gospel into their mind. I don't know why. I don't know why that is. I literally have had people come to me whose marriages are breaking up. And they say to me, just what, do, what can we do? How can I save my marriage? And I'll say, I'll give them a, a few things that they could try. But the number one thing that I will try to get them to do is to start reading the word of God together every day. And if you read the word together every day, you can't help but to come together in the spirit. Is that a little too harsh? As people will come back, okay, I guess we're getting a divorce that's not working. Well, I thought you said you were willing to do anything you could to save your marriage. Yeah, we, we are. Have you been reading the word every day? Well, we read it once a few weeks ago. Okay, just, I thought you said you were willing to do, I was watching this, um, you guys will never give me extra time again, I can tell. I was watching this uh, sermon, and uh, there was a, a pastor who was preaching, and he was um, known for his counseling background. And he was delivering this word, and he said, I have never, not one time, have had a couple that was struggling in their marriage come to me and not fall in love all over again with each other. Well, I don't know if you know anything about psychology, but if you're one in four, you're like a genius. If you're literally counseling people that are struggling in their marriage and, and one in four fall in love with each other again, you're at the top of the stats, man. This guy's like 100%. And I'm like, peaked my ears. I was like, what? How can anybody be 100%? And he said, let me clarify. I will not accept you to come in for counseling with me until you agree to my terms. If you agree to my terms, then I will counsel you over a six months period of time and if you do everything I tell you to do you will fall in love with each other again and your marriage will be saved and he'll do it individually he'll turn to the husband and says are you willing to do everything that I tell you to do full bore for six months yes okay got a yes there turns to the wife same thing get a yes yes okay first thing you got to do is move in with me that's what he says I've got an apartment in the basement. You move in. And what we're going to do is we're going to have meals together, devotions together. We're going to read the Bible together. And we're going to talk about how we communicate with God and how we communicate with each other for the next six months. It saved 100% of the marriages that were willing to do it. No prescription. The prescription was the word of God. No medicine to take via oral. Medicine to take via Neuro. Ooh, I just made that up. That was our... Okay. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 5, it gives you a little bit of a background of where we're at. The, the, he, he was called to build a wall, by the way. 
That's what he did 13 years after the revival. So Zerubbabel built a temple. 60 years later, Ezra had a revival. 13 years later, Nehemiah and Malachi, or the Italian prophet Malachi, they went and they started building walls. And their job was to fortify the city. Now, is it hard to build a wall? Ask Donald Trump. No, I'm just kidding. Um, They were uh, charged with a task by the Lord to build this wall. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, And there was a great outcry of the people. See, while they were building this wall, there was a drought, there was an influx of people, and there there was a reduction of food that was available to them. So they were having a difficult time. They went to Walmart and there's no food on the shelves. They went to uh, go out to the fields and there was nothing in the fields because there was a drought. And yet there was way more people to feed. By the way, I did a little deep dive on Nehemiah. He was feeding about 150 people per day is what he was doing. He was a man of God. He was a doer. So there was an issue going on. It says, and there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. See, some of the people were having food, but most of them weren't. And the ones that were doing the work of the Lord were the ones that were suffering the most. Because while they were out building the walls, their fields were, were being neglected. And because the fields were being neglected, compounded by a drought that was going on, they weren't able to, to produce the food. But some of them that weren't doing the work of the Lord had more food. And so they were selling some of their extra food at, a, at an extra high cost. Hello. So there was an outcry amongst the people and their wives. That's significant to me because I, mean, I complain way more than she does. So if the wives are starting to complain, hello, look out. For there were those who said, we are, we are sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. They're literally going out and mortgaging their homes to buy food. There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. This is dire times. They are literally borrowing money to pay taxes. Has anybody ever done that? I have. That's not a good feeling. I've done it two or three times where I've owed enough taxes that I had to go out to a, I had to go to a bank and borrow money in order to pay taxes. If you borrow $20,000 and you buy a car, you've got a nice car. If you borrow $20,000 and then give it to the government, you got no car. It's not fun. I've done it a few times because of very dumb business decisions that I've made in the past. So a little quick background. Uh, I was a guidance counselor for a number of years. I was a bivocational pastor. So I was a guidance counselor working for the school district, but I was also a pastor at a church. And my heart and my goal was to be a full-time pastor. And so I thought it was time. At one point in time, it's like, I got I to gotta, I gotta pull the trigger. I've got to do this thing. And so I bought a bunch of houses thinking that I would be a landlord 
and a pastor. That would be a lot easier than being working for the school and a pastor. Not, not as easy as I thought. Because after owning a number of houses and trying to collect rent and trying to do all of, the, all of the work, if I got home at the end of the day and I did not lose any money that day, I was happy. So when I made zero money, I was happy. And at the end, usually what happens was the business was able to generate enough money to just pay the, pay the mortgages, but not pay the taxes. So at the end of the year, I would owe like $20,000 in taxes, property taxes. And there was a number of times, I think three different times, I remortgaged my house at a higher amount of money to take the, ex, to take the equity and then give it to the government. And I had done that a few different times, and I got to the point where I, didn't, I don't think I had enough equity left to do it again. And yet it was time to do it again. I think there was at least three times in which the Lord miraculously saved me from having issues and problems, miracles. And at one point in time, I went to, we were getting ready to go to a deacon meeting. And I was trying to figure out how to tell my wife, we're probably going to go bankrupt. And I sat her down on the couch and I said, hey, I think we're going to lose our house. Because my house was tied in two to three times over with the business. And she's, we, we had a little complaint session to the Lord and cried it out. And then we went to the deacon meeting. And someone at the deacon meeting was complaining because the neighbor had mowed their lawn and some of the grass had, had spilled over onto their property. And they complained about it. And I looked at Chris and I said, boy, that would be horrible. And we burst out laughing. Now, I don't even know if the, to this day if the deacons knew why we were laughing. But I was like, we're literally talking about going bankrupt and losing our house. And someone else is complaining that the neighbor's grass got over on their property. I was like, huh, the problems we have. I say that because to let you know that it's, I am like, I feel like I have a special anointing for joy. And even in the midst of that, we burst out laughing. You know what Chris said to me, by the way? When I said, I think we might lose our house. She said, who cares? It's just a house. No big deal. We got each other and we've got the Lord. What else do we need? It's all we need. And just by having your wife say that to you, you're like, okay, it's going to be all right. In Nehemiah's day, they were struggling with the same thing. They were mortgaging their houses to buy food and mortgaging their properties to pay taxes. But they got through. And they built the wall. And they accomplished what they were doing. And by the way, one of the reasons why they were struggling with getting food, one of the reasons why they neglected their fields was because they were doing the work of the Lord. How fair is that? But God knew all the time. He was going to take care of them. Boy, I got so much to say about that, but I don't, I don't think I want to go down that path. So they ended up, I hope this is ministering to you because, number one, we're standing on the opposite end of that now, knowing that God protected us, knowing that God saved us. 
I could just imagine the, uh, the committee of three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit talking about me up in heaven. He did it again. I told him not to, I told him not to do that. He did it. Do you want to save him again? Yeah. Let's wait till the last possible second, teach him a lesson. <laughs> I literally was going to have properties foreclosed on me like on a Wednesday and I got somebody, I got like an extra $10,000 on a Tuesday. It's like, oh, hey, we get to stay in our house. But it didn't matter because God was going to take care of it anyway. It's all good. And if you go through a number of experiences like that, it literally does change you. You literally stop relying on your own ingenuity. You stop relying on your own... um, talents and you just say it's beyond me i just got to lean on god i was talking to someone this past week at um oh what's that coffee place everybody goes to what's that no lillian's i know lillian's it wasn't it was up in warren um not tim horton's the other one starbucks has nothing to do with this story anyway I met with somebody at Starbucks. This person has an awesome job. This person gets paid a ton of money. Six figures. But he's nervous. Now this person had times in their past in which they didn't even have a job. And they couldn't pay the bills. But the Lord protected them and provided. And now they have an awesome job. And he says, I'm just nervous. What if this job doesn't... What if I lose my job? I said, your job is no big deal. God is your source. Your employer is not your source. God is your source. If God pulls you out of that job and puts you in another place, that means he's got something better for you. That doesn't necessarily mean, by the way, more money. That might just mean I got something better for you. Because at the end of our lives, it's not about how much money we've made. It's about how much love we've given. Love is the barometer. Love is the um, coin, the currency of heaven. And the more you spend, the more you receive. That's the number one thing, is to learn how to love. And if you're standing in the midst of a ton of people in Disney World, that's a tough task to accomplish. (laughs) So these guys, they built the wall. They got it finished. And they got it done in the midst. They literally had, the enemy had hired hecklers. They had hired people to mock them. And they said things, you'll never build this wall. And if you do build it, a squirrel could scurry across the top and it would crumble. These were hecklers. By the way, if there was ever a job that I was suited for, it would be that one. I would love, I would love to open up the paper and see a help wanted ad, you know, wanted to uh, hire hecklers to get rid of the company. I'd be like, I'm good at that. They had, they had hecklers, they had issues with finances. They had problems with, uh, they, they would build the wall with one arm and have a sword in the other arm to fend off enemies. I mean, this was not an easy, simple task. Gosh, I don't know if I should. Then we get to chapter six. I'm skipping chapter six. Then we get to chapter seven. And it's a whole list of names. 
And I think the only reason it's there is to provide a message to you and to me that God sees everything. I don't know what all these jobs were, why all these people were literally like just written down in the book of life. But I think it's so that you know. By the way, Nehemiah describes his work as a great work of the Lord building this wall. And I don't think building the wall was what the Lord was actually doing. I think he was reforming his nation. And I think for you and I, whatever the ministry might be, you might be in children's nursery, you might be painting walls, who building walls, painting walls. You might be shoveling off the sidewalk in the wintertime. Or you might be teaching the word of God. All of that means nothing if you don't just have love for what you're doing. And you're not, when you shovel off the sidewalk, you are not shoveling it for the people. You're shoveling it unto the Lord. Colossians 3 talks about whatever you do, do it unto the Lord, not to men. You're working for him, and there's nothing that's beneath him. You could clean toilets for the Lord. And if you do it with a heart of gladness and joy, he loves that. I really think that sometimes people think that just because I'm standing up here and I'm preaching like the word from a pulpit, that that makes me like having some sort of a higher calling. This is a lower calling. The higher calling is to be able to, to, to... to sit there and listen to this thing and to do what you need, what God has called you to, to the best of your ability. Because if you do it with a heart that's serving God, that is way more valuable than, than anything else because you're, it's, you're, a, you're a walking ministry when you do this. And then chapter 8, they build the wall and they're all excited and they decide to... Um, take the word of God and they stand up and they just simply read. In my version, it says, in verse 8, it says, so they read distinctly from the book of the law. And they read it for hours. You think this is bad. They read it for like six hours, I think. I forget how long it was. But they read this book of the law and then I had a really cool revelation that I needed to share with you. I'm just make sure I get it. I'm not, I'll, I'll get it. Verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of of the law. Nehemiah stands up and he reads the law and the response from the people is mourning and weeping. Because when you read the law, it brings despair. But when you read grace, it brings joy. The law just kind of is the law, according to the new Testament is a schoolmaster to teach you that you cannot do this thing. That you cannot earn your way to heaven. You can't earn your way into good graces with God. And when you preach the law and you go through one after another after another, you're like, I've, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. 
And the response from them reading the law was to weep and to mourn and to, and to think there's no way that we're, that we're able to please God. And that's when Nehemiah stands up with the message of grace and says, do not weep for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's the strength. Because when you, when you realize that you have, let me, let me, let me read it in context. You guys are still looking at me like you're confused. All right, get this. Eric's verse 10, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet and send portions to those to whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. Notice that it says, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not the joy in the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. Now we are supposed to have joy in the Lord. But this is like, remember when I said uh, the Lord will minister to your soul and the doctor through, the, through a medicine? It's because sometimes the word of God will say things and you're like, I don't know if that makes sense to me. But you just have to do it. And I'm telling you, if you want to know, this is the revelation that I got. It's the joy of the Lord, which means joy. It's, it's the Lord's joy over you. He joys over you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you. With gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord is singing over you. If you don't have joy and you want joy, here's how you do it you sit back and you just reflect on the fact that God is singing over you, that he has joy over you. You. You might think, I don't deserve that. None of us deserve that. He rejoices and has love for you. That's greater than anything else. Anything at all is the knowledge of knowing that he joys over you. Does that make sense? I don't know. Why don't you try it? Here's a little experiment for you. Take a full day and do nothing but listen to the news And then take a full day and do nothing but reflect on his love and joy over you. Which do you think is going to have the better result? (laughs) By the way, when Chris and I burst out laughing at that deacon meeting, and the the joy just kind of came all over us, I don't think the deacons were even aware of what we were laughing at. Our situation hadn't changed yet. The miracle of God didn't take place yet. Chris often says that, you know, when the, um, when the Red Sea parted and the, the Israelites went over through on dry ground and they came out and then the waters enclosed over their enemy and Miriam came up with like this, she did a rap or something. She sang this worship song. 
It's like, whew. one of the things that we always say is uh, we need to get really good at worshiping on the west side of the river, not just on the east side. Because when you can worship God before the answer manifests, that will actually give you strength to endure whatever it is that you need to endure. Strength is in the joy of the Lord. Hmm. I think that if we get a good grip and good hold on this, even you can go to Disney World and be happy. (laughs) It can happen. Nehemiah was in, man, drought, hunger, mortgaging homes, and he was the one that's like, we're going to do this thing. So I think that the reason why the Lord has placed this, not just in my life, but for you guys, for this particular season, is I have seen things in the Spirit that are going to take place here. And you're part of the partnership with the Holy Spirit for things to manifest in this place. And you need to have the strength to do what God is calling us to do. And you can't have that strength without joy. You have to have the joy of the Lord in order to receive everything that God wants to do, not just in this place, but in your lives individually. Not that long ago, Um, we were driving down I-90, coming back from visiting Randy and Aaron, and I got a phone call, and it was really bad news. I honestly don't remember what it is. That's part of the reason why I have joy is because I have the worst memory ever. They're like, didn't you remember yesterday when I punched you on the side of the head? I'm like, no, you hit me too hard. I I don't remember. Um, But I got this bad news on the phone, and uh, it just instantly, my heart just plummeted. And I was like, and Chris says to me, um, I'll owe anybody here a candy bar if you can know this, know this scripture. What's um, Philippians 4.4? 4? I think that's the verse. I might have the right. If I'm wrong, I owe everybody a candy bar. Philippians 4.4, 4, anybody know? Boom, I owe you a candy bar. And... Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. By the way, any time that the scripture is repeated in the word, it's because of its importance. It's like he says to us, rejoice in the Lord always, and our response is like, really, Lord? Again, I say rejoice. That's how important it is to rejoice in the Lord. And then I got that bad phone call, and I, like I said, I don't remember what it was, but I instantly went to like this like 30-second depression, like boom, bang, right now. And uh, Chris says, rejoice in the Lord when? And I said, shut up. And she said, rejoice in the Lord when? Always, Chris, always, Chris. Just wait till you have a bad call. And uh, I said, okay, always, again. And so I'm, I'm saying it, but I'm not believing it. You ever been there? So this is what she does to me. Got you. Aren't I lucky? She says, all right, let's praise the Lord right now. Let's sing. How many of you know that you do not want to sing when you're feeling bad? 
I was like, okay, Chris, get out. No. Um, I was like, all right, all right. And we started rejoicing, singing praise songs together, which, by the way, if you ever sing praise songs with me, I 100% change the words every time. You think you're singing one, I'm singing my own thing. It was probably five minutes, five minutes, and I was happy. I was excited. Again, circumstance didn't change, but I was like, God's got to. You know what happens is, you know, in Nehemiah's uh, revelation to us, it was like, just know that he loves you and know that he's singing over you. You know that it's his joy that's like overcoming you. Just know that. And if you reflect on that, if you have a revelation of that, then you understand that whatever you're going through now is temporary. Nothing's going to matter a thousand years from now here. But if you could just make yourself do that for five minutes, isn't that not worth it? Am I the only one? Is that worth it? All right, stand up if you want to really be depressed. All right, now stand up if you really want to be joy, full of joy. You think with all this extra time, I would have been, yeah, I could do it still. I'm just going to read you one passage of scripture as our benediction. Jesus said these words As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. So get let me put it in my own words. He says that you, can ha- that you can abide in his love. And he proved it by abiding in his father's love. And he says, then he says something a little bit interesting. He says, do what I say. He words it this way. If you keep my commandments, you will abide. If you're following Christ, you will do this. He says, do everything that I tell you to do. Because that's how love is going to manifest in your life. And then he says this, the next verse, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So how do you receive joy? You do what he says to do. And I'm telling you right now, I think it was a revelation from God to meditate and pray and just bask in the fact that he has joy over you. It is a multiplication tactic. It will just grow and grow and grow exponentially in your life. Father God, we are here before you and we thank you, Lord, for your word. May we follow you wholly. May we hear your voice and do it. May we take the commandments or every, anything that you say to us, corporately or individually, and may we do whatever it is that you say, for that is where your joy 
will remain, and that's where our joy may be full. We give our lives to you, Lord, because you already gave yours for us. May we have a revelation in this, and may we walk closer and closer and closer with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I think that uh, I just, for the first time, looked down at my notes, and I, I got through about half. Sorry about that. I had extra time, too. Anyway, God is good, and all the time, and in my life, and, and in my life, God is active. I forget. Goodbye. Amen. God bless you. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of the Salt Church Podcast. We're grateful you spent this time with us, and we hope the message today has moved you. Please be sure to join us again next week for another episode of the Salt Church Podcast. God bless, and we'll see you next time.